Hi all, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all, because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on -on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us at Open House Life, as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I. Now, into the episode, and it's a juicy one. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode with me, your host, Louise Rumble, and my incredible co-host, clinical psychologist and relationship expert, Dr. Terry Mack. Today, we are recording the episode that so many people need to hear. And it's the episode that I actually wish we had done sooner because so many people message me and reply on TikTok saying, how do I break this cycle and what is going? Dr. Terry and I are working on some incredible courses and workshops in the background, which will ultimately help you to break these cycles. But today, we are going to give you an overview as to what is going on where you might have picked up some of these behavioral traits and how you can start to think about doing the work. So today we are going to be talking about emotional unavailability and taking it one step further, we are going to be talking about something that takes a little while for people to get their head around, which is you only go for emotionally unavailable men or women if some part of you is emotionally unavailable. Now, I know that I have so much to talk about on this topic, and I would say it's the hardest lesson that I had to digest in my two years of therapy was really accepting this without ego, without judgment. And I think it's a hard one. It's a hard pill to swallow. But when you swallow it, it changes everything. So Dr. Terry, I know that you refer to this as something called unconscious attraction, which is a huge part of the work that you do. Do you want to just give me an initial intro into what is unconscious attraction? Yes. So unconscious attraction means that even though consciously we can say what kind of partner we want and what kind of partner we would unconsciously, we are drawn to the same types of partners based on our childhood experiences, roles, templates of love, traumatic experience. And there are two types of unconscious attraction. The first type says that we choose people who reinforce how we feel about ourselves. So the extent to which we value ourselves, we know our worth, we love ourselves and treat ourselves with compassion, we will be attracted to partners who do the same or vice versa. The second kind of unconscious attraction says that we choose partners who help us recreate our patterns, roles, templates from childhood. And both of those come into play when we're talking about this, which is that if we tend to always end up with emotionally unavailable partners, that means that there is a part of us that is emotionally unavailable. And most people's like minds are blown when I tell them that. And honestly, I think that even before the stage of getting your mind blown, I think there's a lot of resistance to this fact. And I think that was where I was as well, which was that I remember my therapist first told me this and then you were telling me this. And I was thinking, no, I want to find love. I want to be in a relationship. I want to date a good man. I want to be treated well. I want to be looked after and loved and have a great sex life. I want all of these things. There is nothing that is saying now's not the right time. You know, the things that people say when they actively do not want to find their person. And so when I had either you or my other therapist saying to me, this is actually being driven by something inside of you, I found that 
just really hard to fathom. And I think that my ego kicked in at that point. And I think a lot of people might be like, no, you're wrong. But the thing is, of course, Dr. Terry is not wrong. She is a clinical psychologist. She has watched this pattern and cycle in her practice for, I mean, how many years now? I mean, 20, 25. I think the first stage in getting to grips with this is that, okay, let's just be open-minded to this. Maybe we need to go on a little deep dive here to understand where and why this is in place. And I know that for me, I found it initially really hard to take this feedback on board. And I remember once I went on a couple of dates with this guy and things were honestly great. He ticked so many of the boxes on my shopping list and there was absolutely nothing, no reason why I shouldn't have continued to get to know him and maybe look to invest in a relationship in some capacity with him. And I just couldn't. I just literally was like, I'm out. I can't handle this. You know, I just made up some excuses. I'm busy at work right now. And when he said something about me being emotionally unavailable, it made me realize, yeah, maybe there is some part of me that when faced with true, pure, good intimacy at that point in my life was not able to handle it. So is that part of it that we are potentially scared when we actually get something that is good. What actually is being emotionally unavailable? You know, everyone throws around these words like, oh, he's emotionally unavailable. She's emotionally unavailable. What does that actually mean from a therapist's point of view? Mm, that is a great question. Because, you know, what you were saying is people may have resistance because they're like, oh, I want love. I'm open to love. And that can be true, but that doesn't mean you're emotionally available. Emotional availability, again, is on a spectrum, like most things are. Really, it means that you know yourself well enough that you can be authentic and honest about who you are, how you feel, what your preferences are, what your story is. You can be vulnerable with safe people and you can tolerate or even enjoy deep emotional connection and intimacy. And you can only be as emotionally connected to someone else as you are emotionally connected to yourself. And that is a big piece of this because so many people have very superficial relationships without realizing it because they are not tuned in emotionally to their internal world experiences, feelings, needs, all those things. So they can't possibly bring those to a relationship. That's really interesting because I think that, again, my ego would have come in when we were first having this conversation and I would say, no, I am in tune with myself, you know, I know how I feel. And I think that that's because I'm a sensitive and highly emotional person that just because I was feeling a lot of emotions that I would say, no, I don't agree with you. I am in touch with myself. But actually, it goes a layer below that, not just like the feeling of the emotions, but actually the acknowledgement of like, oh, this is causing me deep pain. Where is this coming from? You know, that kind of like awareness piece around it is, I think, maybe the element of emotional availability that I was missing. Or like we said on a previous episode, I was okay to be available in some regards with specific things, parts of my story that I was okay with. But when it came to other places, sharing parts of my journey that maybe I hadn't come to terms with yet, or that I held intense shame around, or even bringing traumas into it, bringing this belief that I needed a rich man, I needed a tall man, I needed a, you know, whatever these beliefs are that we learn, I think that I thought that I was in touch with what I wanted. But actually, there is this layer below it, which is that 
is this what you want or is this what you have been conditioned to believe? And that is what I think we are missing in today's society is that even when people think that they are emotionally in tune or connected with themselves, often what they're connecting with is deeply ingrained beliefs and conditioning as opposed to the truth. And I think this is something that I'm dealing with at the moment, which is that I make more money than my boyfriend. And that has been a challenge for me because I grew up in a family with a very powerful patriarchal figure who made all the money, who controlled everything. And my mother was the very feminine caregiver. So that for me has been tapping into myself thinking, am I okay with this? What makes me feel emotionally unavailable to this? What makes me feel like I want to push away from it? So I've just gone on a bit of a tangent there, but I think that, you know, I love going deep into that because people say, oh no, I'm emotionally available. Are you? Have you actually tapped into what you're conditioned with, why you believe the things that you do? Yeah. And I also think a huge part of emotional availability is being able to be honest in the moment in the relationship with your partner. And what gets in the way of that? Fear, right? Fear of the other person leaving, fear of the other person's reaction, fear of abandonment or rejection, fear of really being seen. Many of us have never been in relationships where we've really been our authentic, true selves because there are parts of us that do not believe that we are lovable. And again, all of this goes back to childhood. Depending on the amount of mirroring you got from your parents, which is, you know, your parents reflecting back to you who you are, what gifts you bring to the world, to the family, and whether it was accurate mirroring, or was it, you know, mostly negative or critical, or was there just not any mirroring? So that's another big piece of emotional availability. There can be people that are open to love. They're very empathic. They want a relationship, but they're people pleasers. And in that way, they are not being honest with themselves or with the people that are close to them because they're too busy trying to keep the other person or get other people to like them or approve of them. You are so right. Yeah. It's that point around communication. And I know that it's something that we both feel very passionate about that we are going to go into later in the series and also in the things that we're working on behind the scenes, which is that, like you said, You can want a relationship, you can be open to love, you can be able to date. But in those moments when you need to communicate your truth, can you do that? Or do you totally clam up? Do you suppress everything? Do you outburst? You lose it, you get super hot-headed, you have a temper. Because I see people finding communication so awkward that they just push away from a relationship totally so they don't have to be vulnerable, learn how to communicate and have someone, you know, on the other end, like fully seeing them. So yeah, I think that is a fascinating point. And somewhere that I want to go in today's episode is, I guess, the relationship that we hold with our caregivers and how that can drive this relationship with thinking that we want love, but then maybe not actually being able to hold space for it. And I'm going to use my family dynamic as an example, just in case anyone is a new listener and hasn't tuned in to series one where I spoke about this. So um, like I've already mentioned, I grew up in a um, loving, safe home from the outside world. You know, everyone would say you wanted and needed for nothing. And I am grateful for um, what my parents gave me. But I grew up with a traumatized father who went through a major amount of trauma as a young boy, losing his father, being sent off to boarding school, his parents divorcing, a lot of other family drama that I won't go into. Taught from a young age not to engage with his emotions. He was sent to boarding school at the age of six. I mean, I believe he wasn't told that his father had died 
until he came home from the school term three months later. So I mean, the, the communication, that is like the ultimate way that I can explain it was not there. And I love my father to pieces and we're closer than we've ever been. And it's taken a lot for me to work through that relationship. But I have no recollection of ever talking with my dad about my feelings. And come to think about it, I also have no recollection talking to my mum about my feelings. Even though we were a lot closer, we were a lot more affectionate, we would hug, we still do, we're very cuddly. So yeah, I grew up in this environment with no memories of having a deep, connective or physically affectionate relationship with the male figure in my life. So instead of me coming to conclusions of what that can do for me, I think from your perspective, when you see women or men coming into therapy where they maybe had an absent father figure, maybe he was physically absent, maybe he was emotionally absent, maybe he just worked a lot, little t traumas. How do you see that sort of extrapolating into adulthood and impacting someone's emotional availability? Well, yeah, it's really scary to show people your emotions when you're not sure how they're going to respond. If you never had that safe place where, first of all, people were asking about your emotions and internal experience. And second of all, holding space for that and responding to it in a supportive, comforting way, then expecting people with those experiences to then just be vulnerable enough and get in touch with their emotions and put them out there in a room, not knowing what's going to happen. It's like jumping off a high dive where they don't see any water in the pool below. That's literally how terrifying it is. So, you know, again, that's the same template, the same role that we're carrying from childhood into adulthood. And I had a very similar template. And it's over time deciding I'm going to get in touch with my truth. I'm going to explore myself. I'm going to put feelings to my narrative. I'm going to think back to my life and the things that happened. How did I feel about that? How do I feel about it? And just keep practicing that. And then you find safe people. And they're safe because you can be vulnerable with them in very small ways. Maybe you share a little bit more than you typically would and you see how they respond. But it takes a while for us to trust that there are people out there that want to know how we feel and can hold our feelings. And we don't always have to be happy and accommodating all the time. We can have difficult feelings too. I think that's a fascinating point about knowing or believing that there are people out there who are right for you in my life. I had been taught from a young age that I needed to earn love, which was that if I was more, if I was doing well at school, or if I was doing well on the sports field, or if I was doing X, Y, Z, then maybe he would love me. Maybe we would have those moments of intimacy. Maybe he would cuddle me, for example. But again, for anyone listening, you don't have to have those conscious thought patterns. I never remember thinking, oh, if I get straight A's at school, dad will love me. Like that never happened for me because we're young. We're often working in the subconscious as well as the conscious. But now as an adult, I can see that I've been working on this template of love. And Dr. Terry has taught me is that if you think you have to earn love, what that means is you are unconsciously attracted to people who don't just give it to you which means that they are inconsistent. So then the whole game starts, which is like, oh yeah, this trigger triggering me. All the hormones are coming out that I had as a kid and you don't want to be my boyfriend. And that for me is an unconscious challenge. It would be so easy if just being attracted to the inconsistent hot and cold man felt bad because you'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to go for the secure man. But the problem is 
honestly, it feels good. And it felt like fun. It was a game for me, whether or not I realized it. So what is going on there that the most traumatic experience that we could have as a child in terms of when our attachment is developing actually feels good for us later in life? Well, it feels failure. It is literally all you know. It is the only role you know. This is what love feels like. It's like, let's say you grew up swimming a pool full of applesauce. You don't even know that there are pools of water available. And that's what unconscious attraction is. We keep swimming in that same pool, not even aware that there are so many higher level pools available, pools of people, healthy people, people that are ready to love you, people that you don't have to work so hard. But you have to start healing yourself and shifting yourself so that you want to get out of that role because it's the role that feels familiar and good. You know exactly what to do in that role. That apple sauce analogy is absolutely epic. You are right. Until you go to your start, you do not understand what swimming pool you are swimming in. It is just literally all you know. And I think that when I started to do the work, when I started to work with you, I started to see, oh, there is a recurring theme and pattern here, which is that, yes, I say I want love. Yes, I think I'm emotionally connected to myself, but actually I will only ever date men who are not quite there, aren't quite coming forward to meet me there, aren't claiming me, aren't saying that they're ready for a relationship. And instead of turning my back on them and walking away, which is now what I do, and we'll come to that later in the episode, I would run towards it. Because like you said, it felt familiar. This is what I know. This is what love feels like for me. And really, we need to understand that there are different versions and dynamics of love out there that are a great deal more healthy than the ones we know. Once you've acknowledged your own personal patterns, and I think that's where we're going to go deeper in these open house courses with Dr. Terry, because it's not the same for everyone. Everyone has different stories, conditioning, and beliefs. But once you have the awareness of those beliefs, that's where you can start to be more conscious of it. So let's talk a little bit around when you are aware of what's going on and you know that this isn't what you should be doing, how you can have that internal dialogue with yourself, for example. Because for me, even though I knew that this is not what I should be doing when I started to get a bit of awareness, it still attracted me to it. Until I got to the point that I realized, and it might be an age thing because I'm like, okay, I'm in my 30s now. If I keep doing this forever, I am never going to end up in a healthy partnership. So I almost started to break my own cycles because I was like, okay, Louise, like, come on, let's like snap out of this. But do you think this is something that people can change on their own? Or do you think they need to be going through this in therapy? Or I don't think we want people to wait until it's too late or wait until they're in such an abusive experience that they're like, I'm never going to do that again. What kind of tips and tricks can we offer people here to say, this is why you should be working on this now rather than when you're 45, for example? Yeah. Until you start working on it, you're going to keep doing the same thing and getting the exact same result. It's just how it's going to work. So knowing that sometimes gives people motivation to lean into the uncomfortable because 
awareness is the first step. Once people become aware of their unconscious attraction, like once they do the love assessment and I tell them, this is who you're wired to be attracted to and why. Um, So you can get and feel these certain things, but you're never going to get it. People are like, oh my God. And that alone starts to shift a little bit. But like you said, you know, it's still a trigger. You still get activated to some degree by same partners, but it's leaning into the discomfort of knowing that you have to do it differently in order to change the course of your life and of your relationships. And a couple things that I would tell people are, please, if you are trying to change your unconscious attraction, and let's say you're not working with a coach or a therapist that gets this concept, do not ask your friends for their opinions or their advice because they will give you the shittiest advice. Not because they don't love you, but because they don't understand. And so you're going to say, well, you know, he's being a little inconsistent. And then they're going to make excuses for this person to make you feel better. And that's not what you need. So also just to build on that, I think that when it's familiar, it fires up your nervous system, right? It gives you those hormone cascades. So it feels so good. So if you're saying to your best friend, honestly, I think this dude is my soulmate. And I have been there so many times because those hormones genuinely make you feel like that. If you're saying that to your friends, of course, they're going to be biased because they're going to be like, wow, if she feels that strongly about this man, then that probably means something. So yes, I love that. Stop asking your friends for advice. They are not your therapist. Right. And you know, they're, they just don't, they don't have the same lens. They don't know what your specific is that needs to be shifted. So that's one thing that I always tell people, but you can absolutely, I mean, I'm a walking example of it. You're a walking example of it, maybe in process. And talking about the in process point, don't know why I just said that Americanly, I say in process, talking (laughs) about the in process point is really important. So this is a deeply ingrained unconscious attraction that you have lived with for 20 to 30 to 40, 50, 60 years, depending on how old you are when you are listening to this. So I think one thing that I want to talk about as well is this is not an overnight thing. And it starts with small steps of awareness and small steps of action. And I've got two places that I want to go here with the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first one is talking about those small spaces, the little micro decisions that we can make to take us towards a different outcome. We've spoken about this guy on another episode, but a very well-known celebrity in the UK who is very handsome and very charismatic and very nice and very lovely would, and still does, every so often drop into my inbox. So he would either WhatsApp me, sometimes he would FaceTime me. And that was everything that my unconscious attraction needed to be like, okay, yeah, this is the game. He's gorgeous, you know, game on. Since going to therapy, I have the micro moments of awareness that when he texts me back, it's going to feel good 
for five minutes if I engage with these messages. And then it's going to feel awful because he either won't reply or he'll not show up to a plan or whatever. So I know in those moments now, there is no point in engaging in this. It will feel good and then it will feel bad. So now I just do not reply. And I think I, I think we've actually stopped speaking because that's the thing is that when you stop chasing, they show their true behavior. You are able to remove the cloud in front of your head, which is saying, this is something. If I just keep giving, he re replies. But just because someone replies to your text messages doesn't mean that you're having a two-way healthy discussion. Right? right. I mean, that's total breadcrumbing, right? It's like settling for the crumbs. Oh, breadcrumbing. Yeah. We've not actually done an episode on that. So that is also fascinating that we're touching on that because that breadcrumbing for someone with an unconscious attraction and belief that they need to earn love is super, super dangerous for them because it, it fires up the belief that like, oh, he's just there. He's just out of reach. He's just there. If I do this and I do that, then I can pull him closer, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really interesting to be aware when people are breadcrumbing you and not engaging with it. Right. Um, would you say that if someone's breadcrumbing them, they should have an explicit conversation, like saying, hey, where I'm at right now is I'm looking for a consistent, healthy relationship and I don't believe that you're able to give me that? Or would you just not engage with them and just not reply to the messages? I think either one. I mean, maybe depends on how long you've been talking to someone or the history, but the outcome is probably going to be the same. And when somebody is breadcrumbing you, they're just using you to feed their ego. They like to know you're available. They like to know that they can have access to you, but they're not going to do anything with it. I mean, maybe have sex with you, but otherwise you're just, you're just there to serve their ego, just like they're serving yours. And that is not a relationship. That is not love. That is not leading to anything. It's a waste of time. Yeah. That's just an engagement or an interaction, like there's nothing deep or meaningful or conscious about that whatsoever. So yeah, just wrapping up that first point around being aware of those micro moments, being aware when someone's behavior does something that makes you feel like you want to pull towards it, even though they might not be the right person or a healthy choice of partner. Those small moments, I think, are where we can start to break down the conditioning that we have. And it's really, really difficult, which brings me on to my second point, which is that this is not a quick or easy fix. And to anyone that listened to episode 38, I think it was, of the podcast, where Tari and I were discussing the two men that I met in Tulum, and one of them was inconsistent, hot and cold, sexy, slightly erratic, made me want to chase him, make him love me, et cetera, et cetera. And the other was secure, consistent, conscious, you know, everything that a partner should be at this point in my life. And for anyone that hasn't listened, that's the man that I ended up choosing. So that's my proof in the pudding that we can break these cycles. But what I want to say is that I'm going to be totally honest here. And I hope that my boyfriend doesn't listen to this podcast, but I still think about the other man. And the reason that I still think about him is because he has fired up these circuits in my brain that have been there for so long. But in this instant, I did not complete the cycle. I did not complete the game of getting him to choose me. I did not complete the game of getting him to fall in love with me. I did not complete the game. So for me, he feels like unfinished business. 
There's no closure there. We never spoke ever again. And I find myself thinking, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if I left a mark on him. And I have, to some extent, spoken to my boyfriend about this. And he made a very, very interesting point, which I think just shows how conscious and amazing he is. He said to me, well, my love, he is your father incarnate. Like he was aware of the fact that this man was just me replaying that with my father. But I think the point here is that I'm just aware of these cycles. It doesn't mean I'm going to engage with him. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to commit to this loving, conscious, amazing partnership that I'm in, but that it's okay to have these feelings, right? It's just about the awareness and then we don't act on them. Absolutely. And I do believe you keep doing this work over time. You will not only not act on these feelings, you won't have these feelings and you'll be repelled by men like that. That's how it works. So yeah, you are in the process. And yeah, it's so great how honest you are because we can all relate to that. And yeah, it's about what you choose to do. You're not engaging with it. So let's talk about the point about being repelled because that's something we've spoken about on previous podcasts. And you said once, which really, really stuck with me is your healing when their inconsistency is unattractive. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is going on there when you finally get to a point when their inconsistency is unattractive? Well, it comes back to the topic at hand, which is emotional availability, emotional unavailability. As we become more connected to ourselves, our feelings, our needs, our preferences, our experience, we don't find it attractive when other people can't connect with us in that way because we're changing our brain, we're changing our nervous system every time we show up for ourselves and as we learn to love and soothe and pay attention to ourselves. That's us becoming more emotionally available with ourselves, coming more into alignment. And then we only want relationships that match that. When we are out of touch with ourselves and we're focused on the external, like the hotness of somebody or the chase or getting that external validation, we are ignoring our own internal experience for the most part. So as we come more in touch with ourselves, we only are attracted to people who have that ability and who are in touch with themselves. I couldn't agree with that more because I feel like as I've leveled up now, I really just feel like, should this relationship not work out for whatever reason? And if I end up dating again, I will never date the man that breadcrumbs. I will never date the man that is not ready for a relationship. And ultimately, the hardest part about this is I really don't want to date the man that can't communicate. Because not only have we been talking about the attraction and the emotional unavailability, but even when you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm in a healthy partnership now in terms of like, we're not chasing each other around the globe, around the city, playing games, et cetera, et cetera. You then get to experience the next level of depth in that relationship, which is their ability to communicate. And this is one of the opportunities that I'm facing at the moment in my relationship, because I am with a conscious partner, but I communicate a great deal. And he says to me, I've never been in a relationship with a woman like you. I've never been asked to share my feelings before. I've never been asked in my childhood to share my feelings. So we are going on this journey now of communication. But what you have also taught me is that it is not my job to teach this man to communicate. So it's been a really beautiful experience where I'm like, okay, I'm going to communicate. 
and I'm going to ask him to show up in those moments. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to shame him and I'm not going to make him communicate with me. I just have communicated often how important communication is to me in the relationship. So yeah, I think that just ties it back to the point about communication, which you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, is that you can only be emotionally available having a conscious attraction if you are able to communicate. Otherwise, you will end up in a relationship and be like, yeah, tick, tick, tick. I've done it. I've got the relationship. But then you're just in this stalemate where you're not actually communicating. You're not going deeper. You're not learning how to handle things in conflict together. And I think that's another thing that I just want to talk about before we wrap up this episode is conflict. Now, I know we are going to go so much deeper into this again in our courses and workshops because it's a cool thing that people need to be working on. But what I think is is so interesting is how you learn in childhood how to or not to communicate and how to or not show up in conflict. So I'd love it if you could just give me a couple of examples of things you see around how people show up in conflict or how they do or don't communicate as a result of what they've gone through in their childhood dynamic. Well, yeah, I mean, especially related to emotional availability, right? In order to be emotionally available and to communicate in a conscious way, you have to be in touch with your truth. And for many of us, we were taught growing up not to be in touch with our truth. We were taught to be pleasing. We were taught to suppress our feelings. And so now we're grown up in relationships and it's really scary for us to tell the truth about how we're feeling in a conflict or to bring an issue up. So we might do what we always did, pretend everything's okay, or avoid conflict entirely. Some of us may have learned if we felt sad, we turn it into anger because that's what our parents modeled. That was the only emotion that was okay. And so maybe now in our adult relationships, we get angry, we act out, and that's not communicating consciously. That's not communicating from a place of truth either. And it's definitely something that I've experienced personally, which is that I wasn't taught as a child to communicate or regulate my emotions or feelings. My mum, when she would get frustrated, she would be very, very vocal. She would shout. So I grew up as a child that was kind of taught to suppress by my father and then taught to vocalize by my mother. And that led to me being a very erratic child. Like I would have, I not like an anger problem, but I definitely would get upset and it would really come out of me like in a very like visceral way. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, understanding how you were taught to communicate and what conflict was as a child is a key driver of what you are attracted to in adulthood in terms of your romantic partners. And then I think the final point of the episode is the hardest thing that I had to learn about this piece of emotional unavailability is that you keep using these emotionally unavailable partners because it stops you from ever having to experience true intimacy. Now, that is something that you taught me, something that changed my life. And I think I'd love for you just to go a little bit deeper into that and really what's going on there. Yeah. So you mentioned something like this earlier when we're caught up in chasing in a relationship or the push and pull of a relationship, we are never able to get to that sweet spot of like deep intimacy where somebody really sees us and we really see them. We learn about each other. And a lot of us don't want to go there because we've never gone there. We never had that experience as children and we don't, we're too scared. We don't even actually know that it exists. All we know is this superficial level of like attraction and 
chemistry and fighting. And so that's the part that I want people to understand when we say that you are attracted to emotionally unavailable partners because there's a part of you that is emotionally unavailable. I want you, everybody listening to really think about that if you resonate with this. What are the fears there? What are those parts of you? Does it relate to feeling unworthy, feeling like you're too much, feeling like you're not enough, feeling like nobody could ever really stick around if they really knew you? Whatever fears are driving, that's where you need to start because you're never going to have a real relationship that goes the distance and helps you actually feel loved because we can't feel loved if we don't show our full selves, if you don't learn how to be more available emotionally with yourself. You are so right. And I think that one of the hardest parts is that until you have a glimpse into true union and intimacy, it's very hard to know what you're missing. Just like if you've only ever swum in a pool of applesauce, you won't know how lovely a clean swimming pool could be. I spent many years in my 20s dating a very erratic, sexy, very angry man. And I thought that that was what a relationship was. And then with my last boyfriend, when I experienced for the first time ever sharing everything about me, every shameful experience, every dark experience, every regret, that was true intimacy. And that is what Dr. Terry is talking about here is that you can live a lifetime in 50%, 60% relationships because you've never experienced one that goes deep into your core, into your soul, into your shadow, into your ego, into everything. And I think that for me, that was what changed the game. After that relationship, I knew I would never go back to those surface level, inconsistent, sex-driven relationships when there is so much more. And yes, I'm no longer with that person. And yes, I was deeply heartbroken because I think the first time you experience true intimacy, you maybe feel like you're never going to experience it with anyone else. But take it from me, you can, you will. I'm experiencing it again now. You know, I never thought that anyone else would hold space without judgment. And here I am with a man who is even less judgmental than the last man. And I didn't even think that was possible. So I think my takeaway here is that it's out there. It's for you. It's waiting for you. You just need to break the cycles. I never believed that I was worthy because my father never made me feel like I was worthy. And I never had the conscious awareness that I'm not worthy. I just knew that I would keep going for men that were less than. So a pretty deep note to end on, I think. But I do think that as human beings, we all have this deep rooted belief that we're not really lovable and that we're not really worthy and that we just have this big facade. And if we look prettier or we look skinnier or we make more money, then maybe someone will choose us. But the truth is we are all so choosable. Don't think that's a word. Just the way we are, right? Absolutely. So beautifully put. Thank you, Dr. Terry. As ever, the wisdom that you bring to these podcasts in such clear and concise manners is insanely helpful. I think people listening to these podcasts have spent decades plus living cycles that actually you help us to break very, very quickly. So very grateful for you. And I'm also aware that, you know, people do need to go deeper into these things. It's not like after listening to a 45 minute podcast episode that you can have the answers to everything. There's a lot of dot to dot connection. Like my father did this, which made me feel this, which built this belief. My mother did this, which did this, which built this. Even my sibling did this. 
And I think that's where we're going to go deeper with you in these courses. And in the meantime, if you want to go deeper sooner and you have the money to do so, then we will link all of Dr. Terry's love assessments and relationship readings in the comments and you can get a discount with them through quoting Open House. And other than that, we're going to go. I'm going to turn my air conditioning back on because I have to turn it off to record. And I am like to my <laughs> stuck to my seat, which is definitely Mexican problems. But thank you so much. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Louise. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.